This is the Houston Football Show, brought to you by Prime Poker and Inside Edge, with your hosts, Aaron Wilson and Jason Braddock. All right, welcome in. It's the Houston Football Show. I'm Sean Bajani in for Jason Braddock this evening from Sports Radio 610. And as always, joined by NFL insider Aaron Wilson, who covers the Houston Texans for KPRC Local 2. Coming up in the show, we'll get into whether or not it's time to move on from Davis Mills, the morale of the team after another loss, the poor tackling continuing to be an issue for Lovey Smith's defense, and the future of this coaching staff. Who's in? Who's out next season? What does that look like? How do we get there? And all of those contributing factors that go along with that. And so we'll begin uh, with the former uh, Aaron. Should the Houston Texans be considering a change at quarterback? That's something that he's been asked about uh, two days in a row now. What do you? What are your thoughts? I don't see the point in changing quarterbacks. I don't agree with the premise that they should change quarterbacks and. I understand asking the question and, and, you know, it's a valid question, but it just doesn't make sense to me when I agree with Lovey Smith that he gives them their best chance to win. If you look at his performances and how he's played, even though he's played poorly, he's still their best quarterback with the most upside. And I just don't see that Jeff Driscoll, Kyle Allen, that that changes things. And this season, quite frankly, is already going in the direction it's going to go in. They're 1-7-1. They're not going to win that many games going forward. They're going to finish in last place. They're probably going to have the first pick of the draft. And they can make all those decisions later. And some might argue, some of the Davis Mills detractors, keeping Davis keeps them in position to draft first overall. You know, he's inconsistent. He isn't, you know, winning these games. He keeps them in the game sometimes. Sometimes he's, you know, causing them to lose the game. It's just really – I don't see it like you're going to turn the season around. It's not about one player. This isn't a good enough team that even if they had – let's. I mean, Deshaun Watson, the last time he was the quarterback, he won four games his last year. And he had probably worse personnel than these guys. You know, he was throwing to Kiki Kuti and Chad Hansen and Kahali Waring. Right. Uh, they still only won four games. So – you know, same amount that Davis Mills and Tyrod Taylor combined for last year. And this year they got one win. I think they're actually in some ways better than last year's team. But, no, I just – I don't see it. I don't see the point in – you know, it's not like Kyle Allen's going to become the future of the position. You're probably better off just continuing to develop Mills. What if he's the placeholder next year until the rookie's ready? What if he's the quarterback deep into next season? What if the rookie's not ready? And people act like they're, they draft a quarterback and all of a sudden, Sean, that he's the guy and immediately starting and he's a star. It doesn't always work that way. Right. I, I think they'll need Mills to at the very least be the backup next year. Yeah, I agree with all of your points. And I, I, I'm kind of with you in that I don't, necessarily understand or agree with the questioning i mean you say it's valid i mean i I guess but when i look at what davis mills is doing week in and week out um 
there are many more shortcomings that this Houston Texans team has than just that of Davis Mills. I mean, you could talk about the play calling. You could just talk about the overall talent that the offense has at its disposal that's lending itself to a lot of these uh, issues they have, moving the ball on third downs, red zone, taking care of the football. I mean, it's a long list, Aaron. And I just found this little nugget to be kind of interesting. And um, I'll go ahead and share it with you guys. You know, Davis Mills threw for 300 yards for the second time this season, for the sixth time in his career. He hasn't won any of those games. And I was kind of curious. I went back and I looked at some numbers. In fact, a lot of numbers. And I saw that <laughs> all the way back to 1960, I went decade by decade. And if you go back to 1960, which is now 62 years, when a team throws for 300 yards or more, they win at least 50% of those games. And just watching these games, the way that you broke it down, Aaron, yes, Davis is doing enough more times than not, really, to keep the team in them. There are just many other issues on this team that this organization, in fact, does have than just that of its ineffectiveness at the quarterback. It's a really interesting situation because, you know, it seems like he's regressed. I know he's regressed statistically. He's also being asked to do more, and he reads the entire field, whereas last year he was mostly just throwing to his first read, which was Brandon Cooks, almost first, last, and always, 134 targets. And now I feel like it's changing a little bit where I was after Brandon, even though he's back in the fold and disgruntled, you know, he's vowed to be professional, and he is, and he's going you know, to play with them for the rest of the year. But Nico Collins is the guy that Davis threw it to 10 times and had a touchdown. And it was really a nice play, a uh, slow-go route. And I thought that you know, that was promising. There were some things he did with Jordan Akins, that tight end screen. That was a nice play. Obviously, Damian Pierce is Damian Pierce. And he, the fumble is a rare fumble. It's an error that he doesn't normally make. They're still having a lot of problems on offense with interior pressure. The tackles, Laramie Tunsil and Titus Howard are playing really good football. They are they only allowed to combine one pressure, no sacks last game. Everything's coming up the middle. Dexter Lawrence is legit and you know he had a big game against Scott Quesenbury and AJ Can and Kenyon Green. You know, where they are as an offense right now, I thought that Davis was confused at the beginning of the game by the blitz packages and wasn't reading it, looked early uh, out of sorts in the pocket. Mm-hmm. And then the second half he did turn it around and I thought that he played very well except for the interception. That he's just a guy that's not very consistent. And that's the underscoring factor for him and why you know, I don't think he's going to be a long-term answer. If he was simply a, a really good game manager that didn't turn the ball over, right. he would give them more to think about. But he doesn't do that. He can't play the way he did in Jacksonville every week. When I thought, okay, that's their formula. If, you know, I don't, I don't know why he can't do that, but if you know, if he had the answer, obviously he would play differently. It's just, you know, like anything in life. Some people do things well every single time, and some people don't. People that do things well all the time, there's a reason why they're excellent in any business, any profession. And he's not yet one of those guys. He's someone that has some talent. He's got the work ethic. He's got the skills. He's got a lot of tools, and he'll play in the NFL for a long time. But if you, you know, just speaking very frankly, I just can't see him ever becoming a big-time quarterback based on these two years, this body of work. Yeah, and maybe the light clicks on later for him. I don't know. Some guys it does, yeah. but this isn't a real patient league anymore, right? When it comes to development of quarterbacks, 
you get a couple years and you got to be good or you're, you know, you're not going to be the guy anymore. You might just be on teams. And yeah, sometimes if you're patient with a young quarterback, like Justin Fields, who looked absolutely terrible against the Texans and now look what he's doing now. Sure. Well, you know, and sometimes too, um, you know, a particular player or quarterback is able to give you enough, show you enough that if you're in the right situation with the right staff, let's just say in general, that they were able to pull some of those, you know, tangibles, intangibles out of you that work for the offense or work for the team, whatever the role um, it is that we're talking about with a particular player, in this case, a quarterback. So I I just think it, 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 the stars almost have to align nowadays because the leashes are so short with a lot of these guys to work out. We've got much more to get to. In fact, you know, I've heard the word frustration more times in the last 48 hours, Aaron, than I had really all season long. So we got to talk about the boiling point for this Texans team. Are they there yet? How is team morale being compromised? That's next. Come out and enjoy Houston's longest standing poker room with a stellar reputation for class and quality Prime Social Poker Club. At Prime, you'll enjoy an upscale social environment, fully stocked bar, gourmet dining, pool tables, dozens of poker tables, and many other fun games throughout the venue. You can also join their over 21,000 members with a lifetime membership for only $10. What are you waiting for? Get into the game. Come join us at Prime Social Poker Club. Inside Edge was founded over 30 years ago as a data and analytics provider for Major League Baseball clubs. If you've seen the movie Moneyball, then you know Inside Edge. They were part of the data and analytics revolution in professional sports. Fans can now have access to the same insights and analytics used by pro teams for free at MyInsideEdge.com. MyInsideEdge is a destination for sports bettors and daily fantasy players where they can find matchups, specific insights, and projections to help make informed betting and fantasy decisions. Again, that's MyInsideEdge.com. Welcome back to the Houston Football Show. Sean Bajani in for Jason Braddock. Aaron Wilson on, as always, NFL Insider. And you can catch all of his work at KPRC Local, too. So the boiling point, Aaron, for this Houston Texans team, how team morale is being compromised. I mean, I heard it from three guys already just over the course of the last two days. Uh, Kirksey, Cooks, Akins, they all use the word frustration. They all just seemed like they've had enough. And we certainly know that Brandon Cooks has for a multitude of reasons. But what is your sense, your insight? What are you hearing from the players inside the locker room that the mood or the vibe is after this latest loss? Well, I think the you know the players are frustrated. Dr. Christian Kirksey at MetLife Stadium in the visitors' locker room. And you know, he showed more frustration even on Sunday. And it, the emotions obviously very raw and, and recent as you come off the field. You talk to these guys, you know, they're not giving up. They're not, you know, quitting or anything like that. But, you know, guys are starting to hear, I'm hearing this more and more privately, call each other out for mistakes. There's a frustration factor that's starting to, and everyone will say, well, does that mean the locker room is broken? No, I'd say it's the healthy conflict that you normally have when you 
aren't winning games. You know, there's got to be accountability. So that's the, I don't think that's a problem. My understanding is there's just a lot of uncertainty. You have guys starting to wonder about what's the future for them, for the coaching staff, for the whole organization. And there's a lot of football games left to be played, of course, but you know, is there a lot of hope for this team? You know, how can they win a game? You know, I think the only way they can win is to not turn it over and for Damian Pierce to have a you know, epic game and for the defense to do something they have shown that they are not capable of doing, which is stop the run. If they can't do that, if they can't play more aggressively on defense, with more blitzing, with guys tackling better. And I, I think tackling, everybody talks about, oh, it's, well, it's a technique, it's a skill. It's also a talent. You know, some people are better tacklers than others. You know, if you watch like how Buda Baker tackles, do you see that on the Texans? Do you see that kind of range on the Texans? No. And he's just one example of a great defensive player. Yeah. What do they have yeah. that you could call great? Nothing. Well, that's the thing. They they don't. They don't have anything called great. And I was going to no ask greatness. you. you know, no greatness. Just there's some solid guys. There's some guys that I think are good football players. And there's some other guys that just, you know, that are really struggling right now. Like Jalen Petrie, and he's a rookie, and you know, some of his rookies do struggle, but he's got 21 missed tackles according to Pro Football Focus. Uh, you know, I don't know if it's quite that amount, but you know, I don't count the missed tackles. Seems like there's a couple per game, and that's a couple too many. And the, the one he on the other day, and Darius Slayton, that's a touchdown. And, and like Lovey Smith said, he's got to make a safer play, safer tackle. Just make sure you get him down. And this, there should be help. Christian Harris and other guys, but you know, it's plays like that, that decide games. That's why they're in this position. But yeah, in terms of morale, everything I'm hearing is, you know, there's frustration. There's a little bit of finger pointing and there's a lot of like doubt, like worrying about stuff. And that's normal. They're one, seven and one. If they didn't care, you wouldn't have all these emotions, these feelings. They right. do care, but it's ultimately feelings don't matter so much. It's wins and losses and stats and outcomes on the field. Yeah, and I always find these sort of situations intriguing because, you know, I feel like when finger pointing is going on, when there, you know, is heightened emotion, you know, after losses, this is where I feel like Lovey Smith is probably the right guy. For, for this job um, in that, you know, he's, he's, he can be that calming presence. Um, he's got the experience. Guys do respect him. They've talked about that uh, top to bottom from day one with him as head coach. And obviously there's the familiarity with him already in the building as a defensive coordinator last year. But I just think that he is the right guy to handle this type of situation and we can get into, and we will later on, whether or not he's going to be long for the Houston Texans. But, you know, I know guys do care. But what people always want to go back to is that, well, the players might care, but the front office doesn't. You know, I've used the term, and I don't know that anybody else really has um, that I've heard, but I call it, you know, a systematic tank. You know, it, it's it's forming this roster in the way that Nick Casario did was – he used what was at his disposal. I mean, they were cap strapped. They didn't have a ton of money to spend. And they brought some veterans in that, you know, could help a lot of these younger players, these rookies, you know, first, second, third year players out. And you're trying to figure out who is going to be come a 
part of the puzzle going forward. And you get what you get out of guys like Jerry Hughes. And just so happens he's putting together one of his the best start to his career in 12, 13 years. It's been phenomenal watching him play. And Aaron, you just wonder what he might look like, what this defensive front might look like if they had a DJ reader or somebody like that in the middle uh, stuff in the run. But, you know, the, the emotions, I love to see it. I'm glad we're hearing it. And I think, you know, we're going to hear a lot more of it. Who's that guy in the locker room though? Who are those guys in the locker room, Aaron, those veterans that, that can teach these young players because we hear it week in and week out, how to finish, how to win. Well, what it means to be in the NFL and go through these adversities, who's the guys in that locker room that can help these young players out understand that side of the game? You know, there are some leaders. Christian Kirksey, I, I believe, is one of them. I think that Laramie Tunsil is another. Laramie's someone – I talked to Laramie about his leadership style, and he's the type to take a player aside, kind of talk to him privately, not call someone out in front of everyone. He's uh, – someone whose actions probably speak more volumes than his words, but he does try to, it's one of the reasons that he was the captain replacing Brandon cooks is, you know, the respect for him and how well he plays and he's plays very well. You know, you saw some of his reps against Kayvon Thibodeau. I mean, that wasn't even close and came on very talented. Laramie's a really good football player. So he has a lot of credibility. Uh, I think even younger players, you know, can be leaders. I think that Damian Pierce his example, that is the leader. The way he plays, the way he talks about things, the kind of spokesman he is for the team uh, in his interviews, he exudes leadership. Yes. I think when you look at you know, some of the other guys on the team, you know, AJ Can, very solid dude, Titus Howard on defense, Malik Collins, really quiet, but really well respected. One of the most respected guys in the locker room, Jerry Hughes. Uh, I look at you know, in the secondary, Steven Nelson, for sure a leader, absolutely a leader. And, you know, you look around other parts of the roster. You know, I think Mario Addison's very respected. Um, and Rex Burkhead, for sure, another one of those guys. Uh, the tight ends, you don't hear as much about them, about leadership, all really solid people. You don't hear a lot about them being real vocal. Uh, the wide receiver group, you know, Cooks was, but now he's no longer a captain. Obviously, he had his dispute with the team. I We'll tell you this, a lot of players definitely have his back. I don't think that's like uh, them picking him over the team. It's more just, you know, they respect that he's still there with them and that he's still playing. And, you know, I saw no lack of effort from him. I thought he played as well as he could. You know, he caught a touchdown. It's a great touchdown catch, and Kenyon Green's penalty called it back. You, know, you add that to his stats, it would have been a different looking kind of day for him. But – yeah, those are some of the people that jump out to me. Uh, you know, I look at, you know, guys like, you know, like a John Weeks. He plays long snapper, but, yeah, he's very respected. But, yeah, those are some of the leaders. And I don't think they have a real problem with leadership. It's just a matter of play. Yeah. And Christian yeah. Kirksey said it very well today. You, know, you just got to get people on the ground. You got to tackle. Yeah, at the end of the day, I thought uh, Christian Kirksey, you know, that presence that he has in the locker room and his group particularly, you know, doesn't need to muddy the waters too much because I think he's the guy that will say, hey, guys, at the end of the day, it's football. You know, it's there are there are very fundamental elements that we're not doing that every single one of you in this room is capable of doing. And I think that sometimes when young players 
will come into an organization, play in the NFL for the first time. They're not used to losing and having to answer certain types of questions daily and, and, and feeling uh, what they feel like the, from a whole city versus maybe just a, a college campus you know, so to speak. So I think that kind of a presence, you know, those veterans that are used to that are used to hearing the outside noise, learning how to block that out um, and answering the tough questions. I think that's something that all of those guys, in fact, that you mentioned, um, you know, thank goodness for them in this locker room, because uh, it, 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 it would be ugly, I think, if otherwise. And, you know, it still could be. I want to take a minute here for Prime Social uh, to recognize our partners at Houston's longest standing poker club, Prime Social Poker Club, located at 7801 West Timer. They've got a longstanding relation and reputation for taking care of their patrons with class and quality. It's not just a poker room. It's a place to hang with the boys, get a great meal, drinks. They got a fully stocked bar. They got pool tables, other games throughout the venue, and of course, Dozens and dozens of poker tables. Prime Social Poker Club, over 21,000 members today. And you can become one yourself. A lifetime membership is just $10. Just $10. I mean, you got to be kidding me with that low price. And once you join up, you can take part in daily and nightly tournaments with buy-ins as low as $60 and as high as $5,000 for the big ballers out there. And guaranteed prize money with pots as high as $2 million. That's serious cash from Houston's best and first-class poker club. It's open daily, 24-7, and it closes only when you leave. They've got a free play from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. daily, happy hour every single day, 4 to 9. Remember that fully stocked bar. It's located at 7801 West Timer. It's Prime Social Poker Club. And, Aaron, right now, you know, we got to get to the future of this coaching staff in Houston. People have their theories, but, Aaron, you've got the insight. What do you think this staff looks like next season? I think that <clears throat> there's a decent chance that Lovey Smith will be back. I think there could be some changes. Uh, I think the offensive staff, I think, you know, they haven't made those decisions yet. I think they're going to see how it goes and then evaluate whether they think, you know, those guys are a fit. I think obviously, you know, some of the positions like offensive line, they made some improvements. Danny Barrett and, Damian Pierce, that collaboration is obviously a good one. I think the receivers coach, Ben McDaniel, is good. You know, it'll probably come down to the play caller. You know, do they think that Pep Hamilton's the right guy? If they have a rookie quarterback, is that the way to go? You know, he did well with Justin Herbert. Would they want to give him the chance, or would they say, you know what, we don't think you did enough with developing Davis Mills. We're not going to go forward with you. That's sort of a half measure. You know, I had you – know, this is interesting. I had some people contact me over the weekend – and, you know, they have some theories that this whole thing could get blown up. I, I kind of doubt that, I, I, you know, that they would blow up the whole thing. But that's one thing that's going around in league circles with some highly connected people from NFL teams, with some coaching agents. They always hope for as many openings as possible. So you have to always consider the agenda. Uh, yeah, I've had differing people tell me, you know, people from even from the league office, connected to the league office, I should say that they expect Lovey back. I've had other people tell me, you know, no, I think he's on thin ice. I think it's difficult to fire him, but the people that make that assumption, and there have been some, you know, that live in this market, that they wouldn't just fire a coach just because they, you know, already did that, you'd be wrong. You can't expect that Cal McNair would make more changes. I think he could. I think that that's – everything's on the table. 
I'd be really surprised if they fired Nick Casario because he's been the architect of the rebuild. And at that point, like, who are you turning to? Who's got the answers? I'd be surprised. And he has had some success with some signings with Steve Nelson, with Jerry Hughes, with some of his draft picks with Damian Pierce, you know, et cetera. So I'd be surprised if, if they moved on. It's just a matter of, you know, would Lovey Smith be willing to move on from some of his staff? Would he be willing to possibly change some of the practice routines, which are very long practices, very grueling? I wonder how fresh they are in the fourth quarter. That's I think it's a factor. They say it's not, but ask the players about that, about energy. Yeah. yeah. They say they've got some. I don't know that it doesn't look that way, you know, to me. But yeah, I wouldn't rule out anything. I wouldn't make assumptions because the decisions haven't been made. There is no lock that the coach is back. And, you know, that's fair. It's a results league, regardless of whether this roster was good enough, whether he was set up to succeed. Ultimately, sometimes, you know, things aren't fair. And coaches, when you lose this many games and the defense is this bad and you're the defense coordinator, well, are they going to let him be the defense coordinator next year? And one thing, you know, thing I was thinking about today was, how are you going to make all these changes? Like so you change the offense coordinator, let's say, hypothetically, you don't make him the defense coordinator anymore. Who in the staff would be a good defense coordinator? Right. Could right. you argue that Miles, who's never been a is Smith, his son, who's been, never been a defense coordinator, that he should be defense coordinator? The linebackers don't play very well. Do Dino Vasa or Joe Dana, Jacques Casari, do they seem like they're going to be defense coordinator? <laughs> no, none of them have any background in it. No I would been- argue. I would argue that Frank Ross is probably better suited to be a coordinator or a head coach before any one of those other guys. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Frank right. has the leadership qualities. You can you kind of feel that. But uh, yeah. you know, maybe he could be like a uh, like John Harbaugh comes from a special teams background and wound up being a head coach. Uh, he kind of reminds me a little bit of John uh, in terms of you know, how he carries himself and you know someone that I could see in the right scenario, being a leader, being someone that's in charge. That said, all things being equal and them knowing that they're in a rebuild, knowing the team wouldn't be very good, everybody basically being on the same page and there was no expectation of contention, even though it's been bad. Ultimately, do they probably let him have one more year? I think so. And then I could see him retiring. But it's not like anyone thinks this team's going to be good next year. And all of a sudden, they're going to be contenders. Yeah. I don't know if you ever thought that. But, yeah, that, that's my opinion right now. I would just say, yeah, I've heard both scenarios. And I'm not talking about people, you know, that, you know, would know directly. But people that – I'm just telling you what, what's going around and what some informed people that in terms of their – you know, talk to people – that do hear things about directions of franchises and will be involved in this hiring cycle, directly involved. And people are going to start talking about that hiring cycle. Who's going to be included in that? The other jobs open too. Like this won't be the only one, but sure. Yep. We'll see. What I can tell you this is I haven't written a word about job security because one thing I don't like to do when I don't, have a concrete answer is to speculate. Sure. I like to report facts or, you know, something that's likely. And uh, what I'm hearing is conflicting information and they could both be right. 
it's just right. a matter of I think that nothing's been decided, and ultimately Cal will know, and it'll be Cal's call on what he's going to do. But I think the most unlikely scenario is cleaning house. The second most likely scenario would be moving on from Lovey, and probably the most likely scenario, just based on what I know of the franchise, would be letting him stay. That, that's kind of how I'd rate my probability factor on the coaching uh, situation here. Yeah, and I think you're probably very accurate, especially given the latter, um, putting him staying at the very bottom of that. I'd be interested knowing your thoughts on who could be involved in that hiring cycle. We'll get to that in just one second. I want to remind people, though, that here on the Houston Football Show, we like to use insights generated by NFL insider Aaron Wilson, uh, but also those that have created by Inside Edge. Those insights have been a real game changer in game analysis. Boy, I wish they could help us with analysis in terms of determining who the next head coach for teams is going to be. That would be fun. But Inside Edge was founded over 30 years ago as a data and analytics provider for MLB clubs. If you saw the movie Moneyball, you absolutely are familiar with Inside Edge. And now fans can access the same insights and analytics used by pro teams for free at myinsideedge.com. That's myinsideedge.com. It's a destination for sports bettors, daily fantasy players, where they can find out matchup-specific insights and projections, help you make informed betting and fantasy decisions. It's that simple. And who doesn't want that? It's awesome. Anyone can access the insights for free. But the best part is the Inside Edge's five-star game picks during all of last NFL season they were money. Where else are you going to get a tool that can help you such, with such an advantage on these games? They were 34-14 and 14 against the spread outright. That's almost a 71% success rate all of last season. And if you're using them, they're kicking butt for you again this year. You're listening today. Just use the code HOUSTON, in all caps, HOUSTON, and you'll receive 10% off of your subscription. It's my inside edge. And Aaron, you know, getting back to these coaching candidates for next season, you know, I put together a little bit of a short list myself, some guys that I would like the Houston Texans to to reach out to, um, you know, declare a lot of interest in. And this is not power ranking, but you can just stop me when you think, you know, I've gone too far. But D'Amico Ryans will certainly be uh, bandied about when the offseason hits. The defensive coordinator for the 49ers, Eric Bieniemy, once again, the offensive guru for the Chiefs, uh, Shane Steichen, the offensive coordinator for the Eagles, Dan Quinn, the D.C. for the Cowboys, and Raheem Morris, the defensive coordinator for the Rams. Your thoughts on that list? How serious of a candidate do you think they'll be for not just the Texans' job, but that coaching carousel that always is an NFL offseason? Interesting list. Uh, I would say that D'Amico Ryans will not be the Texans' coach, will not interview with the Texans. Filed a lawsuit against the Texans before uh, for Achilles tendon injury he had in an energy stadium, which at the time had very much criticized artificial turf. So, no, I don't think he'll be coming here for an interview. Or That's a good pull by you because I'd totally forgotten about that. Okay, so scratch him off the list. And I'm with you on that and just like the Astros are. They're not prob- They're probably the enemy. Uh, Eric uh, – has been up to the plate with the Texans before and other teams hasn't been able to really be a finalist uh, or land a job. You know, I don't know if he'll be back with the chiefs after this year. Could see some change there. Uh, I think he'll probably what he'll have to do is get a 
like an assistant head coach or offense coordinator job with someone else and kind of reset and, you know, some questions about what sort of staff he'll put together, other things. And yeah, just don't see that happening right now for Eric Bieniemy with the Texans or really getting a head coaching job at all. Uh, he's had a lot of chances and hasn't been able to land a job. Wow. So yeah, I don't, I don't foresee that. And then you asked about Shane Steichen. He'll be on the interview circuit. So will Jonathan Gannon. They talked to Jonathan last year. They like Jonathan. I could see him having another talk with them, uh, whether he'll be interested or whether he'd want to pass after they passed him over before. Uh, not sure. You didn't bring up Josh McCown. I think that was more of a like a Jack Easterby thing. They were opposed to going with an unproven coach, and then he hasn't coached this year. So that hasn't anything to change his resume or get him more in on deck for a head coaching position. And, you know, I do think that, you know, Raheem Morris, Thomas Brown, I, I don't know if they're going to land coaching jobs either, but I think they'll get interviews. I think that they could also get consideration. I've heard some rumors about Sean McVay could decide to go the television route. Yeah. If that's on the table, that things might blow up in LA. So yeah, keep an eye on that. I uh, haven't heard a lot about Wes Phillips, Wade Phillips' son, but I think he's got a good future doing a job with the Vikings offense. And I look for some of these successful franchises like the Eagles, you know, to start a little bit of a tree. And you know, there, there haven't been that many guys where you'd say, like, oh, they're a red hot coach. You know, Sean Payton would be interesting. You know, that, that's something I would, I would, you know, think about. A really established coach like him. Yeah, yeah. And it would be an interesting opportunity for Sean, uh, who you know, has homes in New Orleans and Dallas. Uh, so maybe used to be attractive to him. And I think he would certainly add some swag. Uh, I, I kind of, of the ideas I just sort of th- was, you know, banding about, I, I kind of like that option. Go with yeah. someone that's been there, done that. That's been a Super Bowl winning coach. So, yeah, I mean, if you can get him to come, talk him out of, uh, you know, he'll have other other job opportunities. But I think Houston is something that's still a pretty attractive job because they could have the first pick. They have two high first round draft picks. And Cleveland pick will be pretty high, and yeah, there'll be opportunity there. I I like uh, the Peyton option. We'll see, you know, is he the McNair's cup of tea? You know, see if, if they think that he's the right man for the job, if, if that comes to pass. But you know, those are just some of the thoughts I have. I don't see them going the college route. I think they would probably go with someone proven. And maybe they try to get someone with a little more of an up-and-comer if they don't go with Sean, if he's interested, that is. Good yep. stuff, Aaron Wilson. Uh, coming up next – a lot of transactions today from the Texans front, cutting ties yeah. with a former third-round pick. They added some depth at running back. We'll get to that coming up next. Prom Social Poker Club opens daily at 10 a.m. and doesn't close until the last person leaves. Now, that's 24-7, 365 days a year, so you can always get your poker game on at Prime. Also, daily, free play starting at 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. with happy hour from 4 to 9 p.m. They have daily and nightly tournaments with buy-in starting as low as $60 and going as high as $5,000. Now, check this out. Guaranteed prize money as large as $2 million. What are you waiting for? Get in the game. Prime Social Poker Club here locally in Houston, 7801 Westheimer. We've told you about the endless insights at Inside Edge, but let us tell you about the real gold mine. They're five-star picks. 
and in the 2021 NFL season, Inside Edge went 34 and 14 against the spread for a success rate of 70.8. And now you have access to these five-star picks for only $20 per pick or get the deal of the lifetime. Every five-star pick for the entire year for only $149. Even better, our listeners get a discount of 10% on that access by using code Houston. That's code Houston. All right, back on the Houston Football Show, Sean Bajani in for Jason Braddock. Joined, as always, by Aaron Wilson, NFL insider. And Aaron, Texans making a number of transactions today, including cutting ties with a former third-round pick, uh, as well as adding some depth at running back, which I think is really interesting in terms of especially who they got. But go ahead and break it down for us, who they got and who they said bye to. Right. Biggest move. Claiming you know Benjamin off waivers from the Arizona Cardinals for seventh round pick Arizona State had a 92 yard rushing uh, performance role this year against the Saints when uh, James Conner was injured was upset when he only played one snap this past game hearing about an argument with an assistant coach hasn't been named and hasn't been acknowledged by you know or his camp will be interesting to see if we get a chance to chat with him if he can shed some light. But the biggest thing is that he has talent and he wanted to play and he is behind James Conner. So, you know, I think, you know, as a change of pace back, he could help them. He's got some tools. He's a good receiver out of the backfield. He's caught a lot of passes this year. I think he could help this team and give them a better backup option than what they have with Rex Burkhead. And it gives them something to take a flyer on. You just got to see how he is, you know, what's his attitude like? How does he fit? How does he like the offense? All of those things. But interesting that Nick Casario would do that. He cut Isaac Yidem. Isaac was primarily signed to play special teams, and he's only played in three games this year. So he's usually been a healthy scratch. And so I don't think it's that momentous to cut him. Uh, he's someone that, you know, wasn't having a role on defense. So, you know, he kind of, Barely made the team. He was, you know, one of the final guys on the roster, and so now he's cut. And then Will Redman, uh, experienced former 49ers draft pick, safety, got signed after trying out along with Jace Whitaker. And then they also signed Alex Bachman, who led all NFL players with 19 catches during the preseason. He has some return skills. They could be a good kickoff returner and punt returner for the New York Giants. And then – over on the other side, you know, uh, they cut Michael Young from the practice squad. So you have a couple of additions and uh, just a few subtractions. And then they did try out um, <clears throat> uh, Ray Anderson. I'm sorry. Name is escaping me. Former Alabama linebacker uh, tried out along with. Jaquan Hardy, a running back. Uh, neither were immediately signed. So mm. they, they had a tryout today as they have tryouts all the time. So they're always working out guys and trying to kick the tires and see if someone out there is better than what they have on their roster. Well, linebacker and, is probably a pretty good position to go looking for that. but um, He's more of a rush backer than a, you know inside backer off the ball type. He's more of like a like a 4-3-N type, but yeah, um, Ryan Anderson. I was about to call him Mark Anderson. There was another guy from uh, pass rusher from Alabama, but yeah, there's the Ryan 
Ryan was formerly so, with the Patriots. So, Aaron, let me ask you a little bit more about uh, Eno Benjamin, you know, who the Texans claimed off waivers from Arizona. You kind of broke it down. You know, he's been – he was talked of very highly since spring in Arizona camp. And, you know, as you mentioned, he proved to be a really capable guy to back up James Conner, who'd missed three straight games with injury and has since returned. So, it's probably – any situation for Benjamin's a better one than that of being in Arizona, I guess, behind Connor, which they don't really run the football that much there to begin with. I'm not sure how many touches he plans on getting here. I mean, coming off of an altercation with the coach about playing time and then coming here where Dario Gumbawale can't even find the field, who, by the way, I thought this was kind of interesting. And mind you, this was a little bit tongue in cheek, but, um, Agumbawale was on the player show tonight on Sports Radio 610, and he was asked about getting more carries and how he goes, how he's going to go about doing that. Um, and he said, when you find out the secret, you let me know. I mean, it was a light conversation, of course, but the Texans now have three dudes. And obviously, Damian Pierce, who looks like he's going to be right around 26, 28 touches every game. But Rex Burkhead and Dario Agumbawale, and now you bring in Eno Benjamin, who is going to be the guy to get those really important, um, you know, spelling reps for Damian Pierce? I, I don't think there's going to be that much playing time for any of them. Damian's going to carry the ball most of the time. We're talking about a couple touches here and there for these other guys. It, I would say far too much conversation is put into the backup stuff. If Damian's going strong, it – really is not that consequential. It would be ideal if you're going to run the ball even more, like 40, 50 times a game, to have another back like him. I think he could help them. But what they want to do is have Damian carry the ball most of the time. And so I don't see it changing a lot. So I think, you know, what are you talking about? You're talking about four or five plays a game. Uh, you know, that's fair. I just I kind of look at what the Texans have done with Rex Burkhead in his role. And just from a predictability standpoint, but also an effectiveness, you know, the Texans, you know, have probably become a little bit better at that, though. You know, they gave the ball to Burkhead on a third and four this past weekend. And it was just kind of like, man, you know, we've seen this before and it's almost predictable when he's in the game. It's going to be a dump off to him. It's going to be you know, an outside zone, you know, run for Burkhead. Find, trying to find somebody that can catch and is a tougher kind of back that can run through some contact. I know those guys don't seem to grow on trees. Pierce is a special one. But for Dari not to be able to give, be given a shot, who looked pretty good in the preseason and in limited opportunities, it makes you wonder why he doesn't get more rep and why the Texans haven't gone – maybe outside of the box a little bit and at least disguising some personnel packages similarly to the way that they do with their tight ends. Right. I mean, they tend to be reliant on one back. You know, Levy Smith explains pretty well that they have a primary back and he doesn't think it's unreasonable for that back to carry it 25 to 30 times a game. You know, he talks about having the lead back, the bell cow, and that's how they view Damien. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, as he said, and I, I agreed with him. Remember early in the season when everybody was saying, why is he touching it more? <laughs> now yeah. we're talking about him touching it less. I mean, so what what's it going to be? I'd rather him yeah. get the ball. I, I don't really need to watch, you know, Benjamin Rex Burkhead or Dari touch the ball. 
I, I think they should throw it to Damian, run it with Damian. As long as he's not, you know, worn out or tired, he should be out there on the field. He's in good I, shape to carry the ball, touch it 30 times a game. Yeah, I, and I won't, I won't disagree with that. You know, the problem I think that I and a lot of other people had too was just that him not being on the field in some of those higher leverage moments that, you know, Rex Burkhead. Well, that's strange. But, you know, he's got to take some breaks too sometimes, right? Sure, sure. Just they seem to be inopportune <laughs> early in the season. Hadn't been the case too much of late, though. There's been less and less higher leverage moments for him to even be on the field, unfortunately, for the Texans later in these games. Aaron, we'll be uh, boots on the ground tomorrow and the rest of this week and uh, look forward to uh, talking next week. Uh, always enjoy the conversation with you, my man. Have a good night. Thanks. You too. All right. I want to take this time before we get out of here to remind you guys about the Prime Social Poker Club. It's uh, it's recognizing our, our partners, you, the patrons, as, as Houston's longest standing poker club. It's Prime Social Poker Club located at 7801 Westheimer. They've got a reputation for taking care of their people. It's not just a poker room either. It's a place to hang out with the guys. You can get a great meal. They've got a fully stocked bar. Uh, they got pool tables, all kinds of games around the facility. And, of course, they've got a lot of poker tables. It's Prime Social Poker Club. So I've got over 21,000 members now. You can become one today yourself for just $10. That's a lifetime membership for just $10. And once you join up, you can take part in daily and nightly tournaments with buy-ins as low as $60. And you can go all the way in for five grand. Guaranteed prize money is pots as high as two million dollars that ain't no joke that's serious cash from houston's best and first class poker club open daily 24 7 it only closes when you leave they've got free play daily 10 to 1 and happy hour every single day four until nine at night located at 7801 westheimer it's prime social poker club this has been the Houston Football Show, brought to you by Prime Social Poker Club and Inside Edge.